Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends together again. It's been a while. Tim Miller and Sarah Longwell of The Bulwark. Timothy, you wanted to start us off with something. What do you got? Gang is all here. Gang's all here. Well, it was just more of like a warning or uh, just asking people's forgiveness a little bit. If I sound mumbly on the audio or if you noticed a very strange lump on my lip on the YouTube video, which people should be subscribed to our YouTube page. I had about five, five-year-olds mm. I was in the pool with they yesterday. They beat you up. You know, being the swamp monster, being the zombie monster. And and one of them started to, to cry a little bit. And I was holding him and taking him to the other side, to his mother. And one of the other four-year-olds jumped off the side of the pool at that moment <laughs> and karate chomped me in the back of the head and neck <laughs> after I'd had... <laughs> Several beers, and um, boy, uh, that child is lucky to still be with us, and I came up with a bloody lip. So I'm not at 100% here. He hurt the moneymaker, but, uh, you know, I'm still trying to survive. Happy Independence Day for everybody. I just thought you got some injections. You know, I had a, I had a pool incident over the long weekend where I was in playing with G-Money, and another kid just jumps on my back and yells, gotcha, dad! And then I turned around, and he looks up at me and goes, you're not my dad. It was... It was a reminder that in many ways, the, the kids all look the same to us. Yeah. Like, hey, little kids. Like, yeah. To the little kids, yeah. we all look the same to yeah. Yeah. We're the just peanuts. like, yeah, there's an old person. <laughs> Sarah, how was your holiday? You've been gone for weeks. Where have you been? Well, I was gone. It was work travel on the first. Appalachian Trail. The first leg of it was work. The second leg of it, though, mm. I was in Colorado. Ooh. Camped by a lake. Glamping or, or a tent? The full deal. Uh, no, it was in a tent. I slept in a tent for several wow. days. Sounds magical. It, it's fine. I, uh, I'm not a, not a huge camper myself, but I do it for my children and family who do enjoy it. Some would say she yeah. is the greatest hero of them all. Okay. Uh, Some would so, say. Tim, right before everything in the world shut down, you wrote a piece for us because the DeSantis War Room tweeted out a, I guess, a fanfic video about how unreliable Donald Trump is on social conservative stuff. Like, Donald Trump does not hate gays or trans people. So says the DeSantis War Room. But you know who hates them and wants to actually eradicate them from the face <laughs> of this earth? Ron-based DeSantis. Tiny D. Booyah! Would you like to describe for the people, because it's one of the most batshit crazy things I've ever seen. Yeah, and this is just another area where DeSantis is, is trying to copy Trump and failing. The video I, was not produced by Correct. the DeSantis team. It was produced by Proud Elephant US, who may or may, it may or may not have been a spoof. <laughs> Unclear if Proud Elephant US is a, is a real DeSantis supporter or a gay person trolling on DeSantis, <laughs> um, which, which we're about to find out in a second. But uh might be Rick Cornell's burner, actually, as he's trying to help Donald Trump. He was very quick to quote tweet it, saying, this is homophobic. Anyway, um, they shared the Proud Elephant US video with the caption, if you will. The tweet was like, as Pride Month comes to an end, let's hear from the politician who did more than any other to celebrate it. No, that politician <laughs> was not Pete Buttigieg. Uh, it was Donald Trump. They show Donald Trump acting normal. I guess this is an attack video. They show Donald Trump saying a few normal things like, yeah, it doesn't really matter to me what bathroom Caitlyn Jenner goes into at Trump Tower. Not a big deal. And, oh, the Islamic terrorists are really bad on gay issues. And we love the gays. You know, just a couple you know, normal things that you put into attack ad. Because when you're criticizing Donald Trump, those are the clips that you want to pull out. Uh, the two times that he sounded like a, you know, just basically 
human that has a basic respect for other humans. And then the ad goes to this this deep house beat. Oh boy, it is amazing. And we show, and based Ron DeSantis comes in with the glasses. And the eyes, literally the the lightning eyes. Yeah, the eyes and the you know, those, the glasses that the douchebags wear on the beach and that, the whole thing. And then it's like DeSantis. And then, then he is spliced with other very masculine features, including a shirtless, oiled up muscle man. And Patrick Bateman. And Achilles. <laughs> Patrick Bateman and Ach- Achilles from the movie Troy. Don't think the maker of this video, unless it's a troll, has, has read the song of Achilles. Because Achilles is not exactly the person you go to for... Platonic. Heterosexual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very platonic. Wonderful piece of uh, summer fiction, if you haven't gotten to it. A little erotic. And then it starts listing all the things DeSantis has done to target the LGBT community. And, um, you know, and, and how it's, he's passed the most extreme bills. And he's done this. And, and then it gets to a video of somebody saying... That DeSantis has produced some of the harshest, most draconian laws that literally threaten trans existence. And then it's like, booyah. And then DeSantis comes back in and they're like, hell yeah. And then the ad ends. And so in addition to to being very homoerotic for a homophobic ad, the ad is at the same time kind of humorous and there's much to laugh at, but also like pretty scary that somebody in the DeSantis team was watching this and they're like, Yes. They get us. Yes. Literally threatening the existence of trans people, you know, wanting to wink at the idea that we should eradicate trans people, you know, is something that we want to, you know, we want to emphasize and put out into an ad. So, yeah, alarming and mockable at the same time. And also, and this may be where Sarah can, can, I'd like her view, uh, which I got into in the article, also stupid politically, I think. I, I don't know, how, like, that it's that that there's that huge of an audience for this on the right of people who are already with DeSantis, like super meme, you know, you know, heavy active meme users who hate gays. And it certainly undermines the whole thing, which is like, you can't be the electability candidate and also be the candidate that's like, you know, I want to have a trans Holocaust like that. Those two things aren't, aren't really in, in symbiosis. Sarah. So I have a bunch of thoughts on this. Uh, The first one is, uh, I just want to talk about the consultant class that is advising Ron DeSantis. Because there is, and I've brought this up before, because I've I've heard this from a couple of consultants. We're like, oh no, what Ron DeSantis has to do is run to Trump's right. And this is like my least favorite. I like this one makes me crazy because it already assumes what I think is just an insane idea, which is that Donald Trump exists on some ideological spectrum that you yeah. can like outflank him on. Uh, he doesn't exist on a writer. You know, he's just he's just an insane person. So one, this idea of running to his right is stupid. Two, the way that they assume this, the running to the right is like we're going to be bigger anti-vax, bigger anti-gay. And like on a host of issues that I think were the things that allowed Donald Trump to gain broad-based popularity. And this is actually a point I steal from Tim, but I highlight often because I, I think that people do not get this. And I Tim has been so right about this particular thing, which is that Donald Trump was seen as a cultural moderate. People forget totally. in 2016 how much he was different. That like one of the things that propelled him, he played the game on abortion. Like at one point was like, yes, I think women who have abortions like should be like murdered. Jail. You should be put in jail, right? Yeah. And that's when like the right to life movement went in and were like, no, 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 that's not our position. Now it is. Back then it wasn't their position. Right. Crazy, <laughs> insane things. But like 
on the gay stuff and on other, like he was married three times. And like, this is when I think it was one of those things that people misunderstood at the time as, well, he can't get elected because conservatives will never tolerate this. But right. actually, culturally moderate, white working class uh, voters especially are like, I don't care that he was married three times. Like, I don't care about the, the like, like, I have long, like, I don't like love gay people or anything, but like, whatever, I don't care about it. Um, and if he wants to do this, like his cultural moderation was an asset and it was an asset with suburban voters who did care actually about like not being horrible to gay people and think Mike Pence's cultural conservatism is weird. Same with his moderation on the wars and social security, by the way, just throwing that in there. Exactly. Those were both an asset too. And so Donald Trump was always, and where people were like, he's authentic and he says what he thinks, he did have his finger on sort of the right mix of policy things, but like what he hit hard, right? The people that he hit hard, immigrants, right? He yeah. he went hard on immigration in a way that now Ron DeSantis seems to be like, okay, Trump went super hard on immigrants. DeSantis has tried to do some of that too, put him on planes, fly him to Martha's Vineyard, see who can be a bigger jerk. But these made a special thing out of this LGBT stuff. And I think that it works it's not morally correct, but I think politically it works. Sure. If you're kind of hanging around the trans sports stuff, which is broadly popular to have people who, you know, play the sport that corresponds with their biological birth. Gender stuff in schools, too. Gender stuff in schools, you know, teaching, you know, the little kids, the like that stuff's going to play. And it's going to play with a bigger group than the left wants to think that it does. But the broad-based sort of gay attacks is... What? Unpopular. Pride Month bad. They are, I think, <laughs> eroding. I think there is some backsliding in public opinion against gay people. Like, I think they have thrust these sure. back into the public eye in a way in which people who, like, kind of had just decided they didn't care about Target having rainbows everywhere, like, now do. They are mad about the rainbows being everywhere. I think this is a mistake politically. I think that Ron DeSantis... Uh, I, but here's the thing that I don't quite understand, Tim, that maybe you can clear up for me, which is the, like rando on the internet mm -hmm. and it's promoted by the DeSantis War Room which is Christina Pushaw and like the pack right no no that's the team but that is Christina Pushaw yeah the pack team is called never back down or something uh, she blocked me on Twitter so I don't know <laughs> uh very early she blocked me she also has big lips I don't I don't know if she was kicked in the pool by a five-year-old or if there was something else happening there but she, she's um, a crazy person but sorry I just want to make one other point about this ad so one of the things that jumped out at me so I am a uh American Psycho fan. I love the movie American Psycho. I have you watched American Psycho and you thought this Patrick Bateman guy is okay, right? Uh, just like Whiplash. Yeah, love just well, like Whiplash. All, we're like, wait a minute. He just wants excellence. You know, I got to tell you, Christian Bale was deeply confusing for me as a teenager because <laughs> I it loved newsies? him. It was Newsies. It was Newsies. It was yeah. newsies. Do you guys, I mean. Oh, it, I know you. Yeah. yeah. I know you, Wong, well. Early Christian Bale was him singing and dancing as a newsboy in the Disney film, very pro-union. Uh, <laughs> anti-capitalist movie Newsies, which I loved. He was then in Swing Kids, uh, which was also amazing if you haven't seen it. Wait a minute. I love capitalism and women. What is happening to me during this movie? <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, and then he was, you know, he was in Little Women, the early remake. Anyway, love me some Christian Bale. So I saw it also has a young Reese Witherspoon in it. The thing about American Psycho is that Brett Easton Ellis is a gay man writing a parody in American Psycho, and Patrick Bateman is not meant to be a character to be celebrated. 
He is a rapist murderer who kills prostitutes and homeless people. And his colleagues, a young, beautiful Jared Leto, is murdered in the movie. Sorry, spoiler alert. Anyway, the point is, is also, like Achilles, Bateman is meant to be sort of like a gay, like, yeah. Metrosexual. And so, like, but he has been picked up. So my 15, I was camping with my 15-year-old nephew who told me that the internet, right, the, like, Tate, whatever, Andrew Tate bros. Andrew Tate, yeah. They celebrate Patrick Bateman sort of unironically. Oh, yeah. But the idea that the Ron DeSantis campaign would think that Patrick Bateman, rapist and murderer, is like a testament to masculinity, unironically, is insane. He's so based. Uh, I... Sebastian, can you effort something for me? Where because I just have this sneaking memory somewhere that Brett Easton Ellis is like Trump curious or was Trump curious himself at some point. I don't want to say that that's for real, but maybe maybe see what the Googles tell you about that, Sebastian. I have a question quickly about this, which is, what does Trump do on all of this stuff? Not about this ad specifically, but if in the run up to Iowa this sort of attack from DeSantis becomes the thing. Does Trump respond or not respond or follow? He has sort of done this very postmodern thing about the trans stuff where he he will include a line about it in his speech and then say, yeah, look at this. I talk about, you know, making the economy great again. You people are like, Ugh. five years ago, you never even knew what trans was. And now you're crazy. Right. right. And it's a really post... So what does he do? Does he does he just sort of follow DeSantis out on this and choke him out? Or does he just stay where he is and just keep demagoguing about endless wars in Ukraine and all that? Yeah, I think that he does the kind of like, remember in Goodwill Hunting when uh, when Matt Damon is like, you're you're really into sheep there. You got this is something we need to spend some time on. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, and I think that he kind of does that with, with DeSantis, which is like, right, like, yes, we need to be strong on the trans. And, you know, he does the Trump thing. But, like, Ron does seem a little obsessed with this, right? Like, doesn't he seem to be a lot of talking about it a lot? And it's it's all a little weird. It's a little weird that, you know, Mr. DeSanctimonious. Yeah, right? Mr. Yeah. DeSanctimonious, who's, who's so uptight and, and like, you know, want, wants to – you know, talk so much about the gays. I, you know what I mean? I don't, that's not exactly right. I saw that picture of you in those big white boots. boots yeah. And I thought, is this trans? Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. That there thing, you go. Uh, yeah, yours yeah. was closer you to mine. But you, you see the vein that he would try to mine. I think that's it for him. And I think that that's a fine place to be. And going back to what Sarah was talking about, about that cultural you know, kind of view that Trump has, Trump was able to take from both lanes. Right, because he takes from the evangelicals because they're like, ah, oh, we're cutting a deal with this guy. Like it, it's transactional. We get that it's not real. And then the people that don't care about all this stuff, you know, so much, they go with Trump because they're like, oh, Trump's with me on this. Like we're all in the same. Right. And so he can take from both parts of the pie of the Republican primary electorate. DeSantis is just driving himself straight into the Ted Cruz lane, where those are the only people that he can get with the stuff like this. It's so weird. So I don't know that this was like a distinct strategy for DeSantis, because like I said, it's the it's the campaign sharing one video that someone else did. But I think it speaks to the culture of the campaign that we've been talking about. It's this very online campaign culture that people know that they think this is a safe space to make fun of gays. They think that this is something that, that, that they, you know, is part of their strategic advantage, if you will. Um, and as Christina, under her own name, said, you know, opposing Pride Month, 
is is uh, you know we wouldn't have a straight Pride Month, right? It's unnecessary and divisive and pandering to have a Pride Month. So you know this is his spokesperson. They feel that it's okay to be anti this stuff. I also enjoy this. I'm looking at the Sebastian response. He doesn't. He wasn't familiar with the name Brett Easton Ellis. Like we're in Gen X. We're in like the Xennial <laughs> yeah, thing. Like Brett Easton Ellis is like, you know, it's like Gen Z, you know, it's, it's like there he's talking about a TikTok star. And we're like, Brett Easton, you don't know Brett Easton Ellis as I'm 47 years old. It's like Charlie quizzing me about musicals. Um, anyway, on Mr. Trump, Ellis insists there's been an overreaction to his election. Yeah, yeah. He 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 is this reactionary figure too, right? So I don't think that it's surprising that 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 they have co-opted his his character. Yeah, and like Glenn Greenwald, this is the other line from uh, from Ellis quoting here. I'm a free thinker in many ways, Ellis told host Tucker Carlson, and I did see something wrong with the portrayal of Trump in the media. I thought the media was covering him in a way that wasn't necessarily truthful. Do there bigger fish to fry? than just this uh, aspiring autocrat, there were some people in the media who weren't totally on side all the time. Very concerning. Okay, this actually is a fairly nice segue to talk about the Supreme Court. And we had a bunch of rulings last week. Everybody, I think, got to be mad. I think everybody got to come away from the rulings in some way, thinking that something that they cared about had been done dirty. We had a really nice piece by our buddy David French in the New York Times arguing that in a funny way, both Christians and drag shows are both like, you know, working together to uphold uh, the framework of the First Amendment, which was pretty good. Sarah, did you have reactions? Did you even clock any of this stuff? Yeah, this was me walking up the mountain with my cell phone on its last 10% battery because I had nowhere to charge it, (laughs) trying to read quickly the Supreme Court decisions so that I could react to them and like had to go to my car and charge it just enough so I could see what people were saying about the 303 case. And Mommy has to read the concurring opinions. You know, <laughs> I think I may be one of the few people who feels like pretty good actually about where the court landed. Uh, nobody's going to like me for this, but I generally think that striking down affirmative action is fine. I think that schools can still consider race. They can consider all kinds of things to figure out how to diversify. I think that the cultural conversation we were having around it is much more toxic than the decision. I think that pitting minority groups against each other in this way is not good. That one just doesn't bother me. I think that the country as a whole doesn't love the idea of affirmative action. I have never loved the idea of affirmative action. I think that the soft bigotry of low expectations is a is a good line and a real line around the idea that we, you know, that it robs people, whether it's black people, it robs minorities of their people's perceptions of their achievement to have this idea of sort of race-based things that I think is like deeply unfair then. And like it feeds the culture something bad about like, did this person do this on the merits? And so I was fine with that one. And I'm interested in what Tim, I was following what Tim was saying about the 303 case, but I'm also generally okay with that one. I've always had a little bit of complicated feelings about both the Masterpiece Cake Shop and then this one. They're sort of similar cases. Bake me a lesbian cake, bigot. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, like, but like in both cases, sort of the way that the cases came up were both um, sort of conjured from thin air around like the Masterpiece Cake guys, like the gay couple that did that, like went looking for this person who wouldn't bake the cake to bring the case. And in this case, they all stipulate, like, I, I, then I was like following George Conway pretty closely. And basically his argument, which I, to me, sounds about right, is that they all agreed to the stipulations in the case 
and that it wasn't a real grievance. It was a like, what do they call it? A pre it's like a weird hypothetical. <laughs> We're going to rule on a hypothetical. Listening to David French and George Connolly, like this is a thing that happens all the time. People are like, I might have an expectation of being prosecuted or like have trouble for this. Like if somebody asked me to do this and I say no. And so I want to get out ahead of it now. In all these cases, people are like seeking the limelight and a pre-enforcement challenge, pre-enforcement challenge. Thank you. I've just never been that into the idea that if somebody doesn't want to make a website for my wedding uh, or doesn't want to bake me a cake for my thing, I will go to a different person who will. And like there are plenty of cake bakers and website makers. Um, I like do not understand why you would ever want to compel somebody who didn't want to make that or wasn't comfortable with it. Why would you want to give them your money? Yeah, I just like that. Why would you want to support their business? I thought we boycotted people like that. Isn't that the answer? That's right. Now, when people come back and do the like, well, do you think it's okay if they don't want to express their support for an interracial couple? Like, I like I sort of understand some of the pushback and think it can be fair. And I thought, Tim, I'll let Tim characterize his pushback. Um, I want him to talk about it because he had a strong opinion on this that I thought was, I think I agree with it. But let's play it out. I think you agree with it, too. If you want to just let me cook on it for a second, because... I fundamentally kind of agree with the text of the decision. And this was, and me and David, I, I kind of, I feel like I, we should have had a David French podcast. I'm going to feel bad right now. Like I'm, I'm criticizing him back uh, with his opinion um, when we were kind of doing it on, on Twitter. And I think we could have a good longer discussion on this because I think that that his argument and others comes from a good place where they're making the case that this is about compelled speech, not about identity, right? Like this idea that, that somebody shouldn't be compelled to, put out a website about something they don't believe in. I totally agree with that. Like any, I think anybody should be able to reject a potential client as a website maker for any issue. And I agree with that on the merits. And that is how the court saw this case. And my point is, that's actually not what this case was about. And they're saying that's what it's about. But like, it's really about anti-gay animus. And it's like pretty obvious that it's about anti-gay animus because they fabricated this example. And, and the example was... Gays getting married, right? Now, this this lady, now, I just want to pull up what, Dave, what, what David said here to get it exactly right. He said, uh, this case was not, as has been widely described, about whether a website designer could refuse gay customers. That would be both illegal and immoral, and I would not participate in such a case. And I guess David is right that, that the case they brought wasn't, you know, they said explicitly, I would serve a gay customer if they wanted to ha- have me make them a website about, you know, whatever, how much they like dogs. And and that's that I guess could be true, but in reality, like this case was literally about whether a website designer could refuse gay customers. She was not saying I would refuse to do a website for a wedding about anything that I considered sinful or against my morals. She did not not bring up multiple examples. She did not say, well, if Satanists came to me and asked me to do a website about their wedding, I wouldn't do it. She didn't say, well, I wouldn't do a website about a wedding uh, that happened at the Casa Bonita with a non-ordained minister. I wouldn't do a web, you know, I wouldn't do a website where on the about us page, you know, they said that we've been living in sin together for 10 years or this is our seventh marriage. And I didn't really realize I could I found love until I, I met Ethel while I was cheating on my wife. Like weddings are insane. Like if you look at the whole panoply of American existence, at the whole of America existence and all the types of weddings that people have, I'm gonna have a clown minister and you know, we're pansexual. I, you know, like we're gonna cut each other d- during the <laughs> ceremony. Like there's all kinds of insane wedding ceremonies. That, that happened. And, and this person specifically said, no, I wouldn't do a gay wedding. And then 
she fabricated a client that didn't exist about halfway through this process saying that someone did come to me and ask for a gay wedding website. And the person that she fabricated was hypothetically gay, but that wasn't true. The person that she fabricated was a heterosexual website designer in San Francisco. You know, Megan McCart- a lot of other people who are, are good faith, Megan McArdle wrote that, like, you should be aware that a lot of other presidents you like, from Griswold to Lawrence Turow involved plaintiffs whose case was manufactured are moot by the time of decision. And so, like, okay, my objection to this is not that, you know, they use this pretrial, you know, motion that is, that is, that is common to use in these sorts of cases. Like, that, that's not my objection. My, my objection is to say that, like, on the merits, if you look at this case, what this woman was objecting to was homosexuals marrying. That's what she didn't like. She didn't like the gays were getting married. It wasn't that she didn't like that, that the institution of marriage was under threat, or it wasn't that she didn't like that people might come to her with a wedding website that she would have to put something on there that she didn't like. I'm sure there are millions of things, right? Like, how about a wedding website that had people, you know, you have a pictures of you and your you you and your spouse. Maybe they're wearing t-shirts she didn't like, or maybe they're doing things that that are sinful in other ways, right? Like she imagined that gays came to her and said, no, I wouldn't want to serve gays. Like, that's what this was. Like, it was a lot closer to, you know, the lunch counter example than people who are supporting this on the conservative side in good faith want to admit. And so I, I, I still am kind of on her side, but I wish that the response to this was more like, the, you know, the example you always bring up, Sarah, about like the, the ACLU mm-hmm. defending the KKK protests. Like it'd be one thing if if David French and Megan McArdle and, and and these people are out there saying, like, yeah. this lady's pretty gross, actually. And like, and like and this is a free country and, and anybody should be able to, to you know, uh, uh, reject and, and not be forced to give speech that they don't like. But in this instance, like this lady just yeah. basically seems to hate gay people. Like this does not seem to be a case about good faith, religious, you know, objection. Like this does not seem to be a case about, you know, a, you know, a broad based feeling of, of, you know, wanting to uh, only serve Christian, you know, weddings that are, are, are Christian and good, you know, pe- people that are following biblical virtue or po- following Catholic doctrine or whatever it is. It, that wasn't that. It was like, I don't want to serve gays if they're getting married. Sure, I, I might hypothetically serve a gay if they came to me and asked me to do a website about something not gay. And so to me, like, it really was about their immutable characteristics, like, that she didn't want to do. And so I, I think it's a really, really borderline instance. And, and I think that the people defending it on free speech ground were, like, purposefully uh, trying to hide that. And, uh, and like, purposely trying to, to, to cloud, like, the reality of, of this case. And um, so, anyway, that's why it annoyed me. And, like, the, the decision annoyed me less than kind of, like, the... The, oh, we're going to push back on all the liberals that want to object to this like thing about this. And I was like, no, it's a pretty it's a pretty close call. And, and, as, I, and as I said my last thing on this, and I keep saying, like, the one example I always come to, and I think this is maybe triggering as a Catholic who had to go to multiple Catholic people, straight people's second weddings. I'm always like, for some reason, these, these hypothetical cases never are, I'm a Catholic website designer, and I will only do weddings for Catholics, and, and if you're coming to me in your third marriage, we will not, as a straight person, we will not do this website unless you can show me that it's been annulled by the church. And by the way, if somebody wanted to do that, I would say, good for you. I appreciate you, and 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 I, I don't agree with that. Like that's not my faith, but like that would be principled, yeah, consistent. But that's never it. It's never that. It's it's always oh, I'm not going to do the gay cake, and it's like or I'm not going to do the gay website. And so to me, it's like eh, that's that's pretty close to the lunch counter.
It's all, it's teetering. It's it's teetering towards the lunch counter from the compelled speech thing. All right. Well, while we're at the lunch counter, let's talk about affirmative action. This got, I would say, more. Hold on. Before we talk about affirmative action, Sarah, do you agree with me now? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think the KKK actually case is a really good one. The Supreme Court is meant to be, as an institution, someone who says, I disagree with what you say, or this is a gross position, but like, it's like, it's, and it would be sort of the same way, sort of row, right? Like, I think that this is immoral. I don't agree with it, but like the law and freedom, you know, like our commitment to these values compel us to say that this is a choice uh, that people get to make between like a woman and a doctor. And the KKK one, the ACLU was super clear. This was despicable speech. Like, this was really gross. Right. It is also something that we have to defend. You're absolutely right that it is. So I so I agree with the case. I, 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 was, I had no problem with how the case was decided. It's the ephemera of people who celebrate it as a big win for, like, Christians when really it's just like, oh, yeah, no, you, yes, you can discriminate against gay people. Like, you can. And, and so, like. Cool. I think it's good to call it yeah. what it is and and yeah. to to note the hypocrisy and the fact that this right. isn't a principled position on her part. And it's probably even worse, right? Like, did she really, was she really worried about being prosecuted? Or like, did she want to be the new face and spokesperson of this issue, right? Is she going to show up at TPUSA with Kyle Rittenhouse? Exactly. Is that, is. is that like the future here? Of course. Yeah. I mean, Josh Hawley's wife was in charge right. of the yeah. group that right. funded this. You know, it's not like, come on. All right. Affirmative action. Uh, I'm going to guess you guys are both slightly split, but also slightly in the same side on this one, too. I mean, I said what I thought. Did you agree with what I said? Yeah, Yeah, I basically agree with Sarah. Okay. so here's where we get out. I'm not a constitutional scholar. Should the Supreme Court be weighing in on this? I don't know, you know, because there are things that I get worried about. Right. Which is like I'm not really concerned about the the impact of this decision, because right now elite colleges are mostly run by libs who want them to be divorced, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you know, um, the practical element of this, right? California doesn't have affirmative action. It's not as if UC Berkeley and UCLA are not really bending over backwards to try to make themselves diverse. And in some ways, I think I said this on, on the intro to the Pablo Torre podcast. I did kind of a little monologue just on this issue. And 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 I said, you know, hope maybe there could even be a good outcome, which is that it forces schools to look at at low income areas mm-hmm. and and be like, okay, we're going to make sure we get our diversity because we're going to like go to this area in rural West Virginia and this area on the West Bank and New Orleans and pick the best kid from that area because we know, you know, and that's maybe a good thing, right? Um, that, that, that it really does expand diversity in a socioeconomic way to people who could use the help. You know, though, but I'm not against affirmative action. So this is the thing, right? And I think that there was a time when it was really needed. And I think you could imagine a time in the future where it's needed again. And so I don't, you know, I don't know that I love that, like, oh, you're banned from considering that. I don't, I don't really love that, I guess, Uh, you know, because, you know, we're not as good at predicting the future. Everybody kind of thinks that the future, we're on this sort of path towards, you know, a What's the uh, buzzword equity? on the left about where, where you're cross all the cross pressure? No, equity and all the cross pressure. Intersectionality. Inter- yeah. Intersectionality. Thank you. Like we're we're on our way towards an intersectional intersectional future, and it's like maybe, but like maybe not, you know. And, and you can imagine a situation in the future where it is important that that school that schools are able to do this. And I think that it would really start to worry me if this you know same kind of principle now moves into businesses and now jobs can't you know and, and there's certain industries where where being able to look at diversity is really important 
So anyway, I think the catastrophizing about it on about some people on the left was was not right. And, and I think that the outcome of this case will be like pretty minimal, have a pretty minimal impact on what happens at elite universities. And I don't think that the fringe cases of elite universities are, are really that important anyway. Well, <laughs> like, uh, like who gets who gets screwed over? Like uh, I get sucks for you. But like, you know, that that isn't our biggest public policy problem. So anyway, let me make this a little bit more complicated. Um, because my, I have very, very conflicted thoughts on this myself. My background in all this comes from medical school admissions, uh, where I myself did not get into medical school. I deserved not to get into medical school. I, I, this is, you know, it's good that I was not allowed to practice medicine. Although as one sixteenth of a doctor, I am one sixteenth of the way qualified to offering advice to people like Sarah. That's that's part of what I do. Yeah, I do go to JVL for all my medical needs. Right. If it falls on one sixteenth of the body that I was qualified on. I mean, the point is, so I saw a lot of this, uh, a lot of affirmative action in medical school admissions, and it really it really cheesed me off. A lot of my my Asian friends uh, got the short end of the stick on this. But on the other hand, there is a question of, well, who is this really for? And in medicine, you get to a really, really interesting situation. So I, I emailed with one of our readers who uh, who is a doctor, uh, recently retired from rural Missouri. And she talked about uh, how in her, so in rural areas of the country, real doctor shortages, because the type of people who can get themselves into medical school uh, and be upwardly mobile, don't want to go live in the middle of nowhere. So it's hard to get doctors to, to rural parts of the country. And you get in some of those underserved communities, very different outcomes if you have like an African-American community where there are no African-American doctors. There are no African-American lactation consultants to help, you know, mothers. And because of the systemic racism stuff, you wind up getting some outcomes that aren't as much as you want. Because, again, the, the art of medicine, right, is why they call it an art. It isn't just like a science experiment. It's a lot of soft skill interactions between doctors and patients. And... I can see the the argument. Actually, if the point of medicine is to try to get docs who, you know, can practice good medicine, there are situations where, like, really, you know, it it can be helpful to at least have as an option in a community a doctor who who is African American who shares who shares that that sort of experience and can be trusted by the patients. And so this again, this is I, I feel conflicted on all of these things because you look at the well, is it fair to the the hardworking Asian son of immigrants who who wasn't able to get into his medical school? Is getting into medical school about him or is it about serving the patients? Right. And this is where I'm saying that there's a real tension. Yeah, I have a different view on this sort of which is like we need more doctors. We need lots more doctors of all kinds of... Good doctors, not doctors like me. No, not doctors like you, but also like your temperament is because you kind of hate people. You're great with me. You've been a good surgeon. You're great. Maybe you would have been a great surgeon. Uh, (laughs) Surgeons don't like people either. This is like one of my just overall views is that if you put me in charge of everything, the first thing I would do is be like, we need more nurses. We need more teachers. We need more doctors. Like there are, we need more home health aid workers. Like we just need a lot more of these people. But you're right. Why can't we train more people? Like, why does it have to be? If you got, if you got really good, training- there's an explanation for that on on the question of medicine. Okay, we get into it off air. Just because it's so resource intensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the number, the number, the number of people you can push through the pipe. Yeah. To to be to be ready to practice medicine is relatively inelastic, 
um, because I mean, there's, there's like 121 medical schools in the country. I think there's been, hasn't been more than 123 medical schools for 50 years. Uh, their class sizes are reasonably set because again, can we not uh, build more? Can we not, can we not change that? It feels like, it's it feels like we need, we need more doctors. Like they shut down more. all the rural hospitals. Now people in rural areas like can't get the help they need anyway and whatever. And I'm for also just generally this idea of having doctors that people are more comfortable with, not just racially, but like, I will tell you the idea, I, I would never see a male gynecologist. I just wouldn't. And like, I like the, like, I'm so glad there are more women doctors That used now. to be all gynecologists. It used to be all men. I know. <laughs> it used to be, 40 years ago, 100% of OBGYNs I know. were men. I have a male right. gynecologist in my family as a matter of fact. I won't let him, I'll tell him not to fast forward through this part of yeah. the podcast. Which is, I, it's probably unfair of me. But like, if you ask, it's just like, no. I don't know, I got a massage when I was in Colorado and they were like, what do you prefer? And I was like, I want not a dude. And if best possible care allows the patient to communicate more effectively. Yeah. Because again, this is what so much of medicine is, uh, you know, if you guys ever used to watch House, the fantastic uh, series, right? Uh, his line was, everybody lies, right? And the patients are always lying. And the hardest part of you know, the, the art of the medicine is really like getting the patient history, getting the patient to communicate to you clearly what's wrong, what feels wrong, when it onset, et cetera, et cetera. So like, is this about fairness or is it about getting the best possible care because the, you know, both doctors and patients are not perfectly rational actors and like people are weird. After having listened to this conversation, I want to weigh in. Uh, besides having conflicted views and thinking that the results of this case is not going to really be that that big of a deal uh, at scale, I, I still like am basically against. This is why I basically come down against it. I do not think there should be a blanket ban on private institutions like deciding what criteria like they want to use. Right? Like I, again, like isn't does, does doesn't the freedom element of this cut against the the website designer lady? Right? Like if the website designer lady doesn't want to take in you know gays, like should should a college, should a private institution be able to decide that they want to use No, because we do have protected classes, right? I mean the law the law has protected classes based on like, you know, yeah. uh race, creed, sex, right? I mean this is Right. The law has always had carve-outs for discrimination. And and look, right? I think that what we should do is lift – we should continue to lift up diversity as a cultural value uh, that we've – as part of pluralism, as part of an out-of-many-one, as part of a who we are as Americans, should, we should also be expanding our definition of what diversity means. I think we've had a really narrow sort of silly notion of diversity that – is created some of the problems on universities. Like there should be more ideological diversity. There should be more um, that's geographical why Yale law diversity, brought socioeconomic in. diversity. Right? And that's why Josh Hawley got to go to the Ivies and fat lot of good. The ideological <laughs> diversity is done when all they do is let in the psychopath yeah. conservatives. And we should want racial diversity. I've heard people argue, and this is sort of an interesting way of sidestepping it, where it's like you can get the same outcome but using different criteria. So instead of using race-based- yeah. Zip codes, sure. right. You know, you expand both um, first generation, uh, you expand uh, socioeconomic, uh, you, I, I can't remember what some of the other ones were, but like it will roughly approximate the same outcome. If not, have the outcome be even more advantageous for underserved communities of all kinds. I agree with all that. And like I said, I agree with all that. And I think that that's probably will be the main outcome. But then the question is, and I hate to malign a specific university, specifically one that, you know, my close buddies went to, but like, I trust Harvard and Kenyon and George Washington yeah, to do that a little true. more than I trust Ole Miss. 
Mm. Might at some point we want Ole Miss to have a quota. Mm. <laughs> so, so that like the black so black folks in Mississippi. Maybe, although, do you think the people who work in the development department, sorry, not the development department, the admissions department. I don't want to malign anybody. I'm sure there's some good people in the admissions department in Ole Miss. I'm just saying, if you think about it that way, right? Like if the conversation is always about Harvard, it's easy for the cons to yeah, be like, no, let's totally. roll our eyes. This is ridiculous. Who, By the way, who cares who gets into Harvard? The school whose mascot is literally a Confederate soldier. Well, not anymore. They got they got, <laughs> they got rid of it. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. They got they rid, got rid, the they got rid oh, of uh, Colonel Reb. But still, when you, when you think about it as Ole Miss, you're kind of like, I don't know. Maybe they should have a 15% quota hmm. to make sure that, that folks from Jackson are getting in. Anyway, just a thought. Uh, also, just real quickly on student loans, also agree with that decision. Yeah. Biden administration knew that was illegal when they did it. Obviously. Nancy Pelosi agreed to the decision. I'm not mad about what the court did. This is, I, And I do think that people who are challenging the idea of the legitimacy of the court as it currently exists, I think, are incorrect. Here's just another case. I get, I'm sure people were not following closely the independent state legislature case, court ruled great on it. I mean, in my world where people yeah. people were super concerned. That, that was actually the most yeah, important of they, all of these They cases. ruled very much yeah. in favor of democracy. I think we should be, you know, heartened. And what was that vote, Sarah? It was 6-3. Six, 6-3, three. Six, three. okay. It should have been 8-1. I feel like it should have been 9-0. <laughs> it was Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito. Thomas, I'm shocked. Well, so, but like, right, so like, you're not shocked about Thomas, you're not shocked about Alito. Like, both of right. these guys are basically one step above a right-wing talk show host. Um, and, uh, but like, Gorsuch, <laughs> I was kind of surprised at. But I do think, man, people, I bet I'm going to get hate mail about this. I think that Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett can be trusted on issues of democracy, Broadly. I hope we don't ever have to find out. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sarah, give me a focus group update because Sebastian told me you had some spicy stuff. Uh, you know, somebody raised the idea like, so Hunter Biden, we, we haven't talked much about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, cop in a plea and, you know, in, in trouble. And that group, when we were talking about it, the group was like the submarine that exploded. Mm -hmm. Half the group thought that that was done to distract from the Hunter Biden. Did George Soros blow it up? Verdict. How, wait, hold on. What do you mean by thought? Like you asked them and they said yes or? Yeah, so it was four out of nine. Uh, it, it like sort of came up. It sort of came up as like, well, and it was suspicious how this, and so like then we asked about like how many people think. <laughs> yeah, so it. I'll tell you a few things that just have been like in the trends. Uh, in the trends are, in the two-time Trump voting groups, still seeing a lot of Trump support, still seeing for the people who support DeSantis, and they're still in there, especially among college groups, like the last college group, two-time Trump voters we did, they broke half and half, Trump and DeSantis. But like we asked in their hearts who they wanted, and then more people wanted Trump. There is, so DeSantis still has this like edge on electability where some people, people just say electability. Like they are, there's still a sense that there are too many never Trumpers who will not ever vote for Trump. I think it's bad for DeSantis that electability is the main argument because I think that will erode over time. I think that the more polling that there is that shows Trump beating Biden. And also because part of what part of what is central to the way that 
these Republicans are thinking about Biden is that Biden is like totally infirm, totally out of his mind, dementia, mm -hmm. whatever. And so like saying that Trump can't beat that guy starts to not work for them. Like the more it they can, make sense, the more they talk about Joe Biden being right. just mentally incapacitated, the more I think it's easier to be like, of course, Trump can beat him. Look, if Trump is beating Ron DeSantis, young, vigorous, conservative Ron DeSantis by yeah. 35 points, of course, he's going to beat weekend at Bernie's Joe Biden. It doesn't make sense to think otherwise. Yeah. Trump's also just been successful, I think, at driving up his unfavorables. Um, like people, people like DeSantis. Actually, I want to make this clear. Actually, the voters in the focus groups still like DeSantis. They just like him in a way where like eight months ago or whenever I was talking about the big DeSantis boomlet I was seeing in the groups, he was all potential then. And there was a lot of excitement around his potential. I really like this DeSantis guy. He really seems like he's onto it. And now it's more like, you know, I like him. Uh, I think he seems good, but it's not his time, I don't think. Or um, he's pretty Have young. Have you heard his voice? Uh, it's not that they, they, but they still like him. It's just tempered so much now um, in a way that it wasn't before. And I think this is what happens when potential meets reality. Well, his upside is capped for them now. The experience of having seen him and seeing what he really is means that that infinite ceiling is now like, bam, they, they've like, oh, okay, that's where this elevator gets off, right? Yeah. I have a one gay focus group mm -hmm. that I can bring to you also, per JVL's request after the Ron DeSantis video came out. Right. Would you give, for people not in the expanded universe, can you give like the 15 second version on who these kids are? Yeah, yeah. So at the Turning Point USA conference, I encountered a group of people uh, that uh, they were college age, maybe a little post-college uh, uh, young gay men who had, uh, had joined a group called Gays Against Groomers, uh, was uh, in support of Ron DeSantis' Don't Say Gay Bill and the grooming, supposedly grooming teachers and grooming libs and all that, um, that are trying to turn the kids gay. And uh, they were strong conservatives, also pro-gay, um, like Rick Rennell. Many of them were DeSantis people, pro-DeSantis. Um, and so I messaged a couple of them, heard back from one who said that... Uh, you know, that made him seem desperate. And he's already been kind of off DeSantis for a few weeks. And it kind of seems inevitable that it's going to be Trump Oof. anyway. And, and DeSantis is looking weak. So that that is uh, the act not not so good from the activist group. Um, my, my heterosexual one person focus group, my uncle, uh, uh, who I, I, I made a brief uh, stop in St. Louis to see my 98 year old grandmother. God love her. She's just unbelievable. Uh, still kicking. And uh, I, I, I stopped by my uncle's house and uh, he was an early Trump person. So he's a canary in the coal mine for me um, way back in like 2015. College educated, though. And uh, he is off the Trump train, too much drama, but um, really excited about DeSantis, though, uh, was really excited about DeSantis, though, is increasingly looking at Vivek. I'm telling you. Vivek. And he has popped up to 10 in that recent, was it a national poll or was it one of the states? He popped up to 10 in a poll recently. He's a, he's a strong third. I said this to you guys, right? That when I was in Iowa. I told you two months ago, two months ago, I was like, don't yeah, sleep no, on Vivian. When I was in Iowa, you know, maybe I told JVL this on the secret pod and Tim, I haven't talked to you about, but when I was doing the PBS thing with Judy Woodruff and we were filming in Iowa, yeah. like Vivek has been hanging out in Iowa. So like these guys know him and they are... So the, the first of all, the first group, everybody wanted Trump, so it didn't matter, but loved Vivek, liked him. In the second group, the college-educated group, half the group was like, well, I don't think Trump's electable. And so like maybe DeSantis, but they were like, but you know who I really like? And they were like, and so they're, 
that, that their heads were saying DeSantis, but their hearts I gotta were tell saying you, Vivek. Look, this is the most unscientific thing in the world, but I have started to see in New Jersey, whose primary isn't until God knows when, I'm starting to see Vivek lawn signs pop up in the wild where there are zero other lawn signs. It's not like, you know, like, you know, it just there are a couple people up here who like him strongly enough that they are a year out from the primary popping their lawn signs out there. And the only other person you see with any sort of like paraphernalia stuff is Trump. And I think I've seen one DeSantis bumper sticker. So, again, not science, but there is an energy to the big V. So Sebastian put in the chat that we had one person in the focus group last week who said Vivek can't win because of his name. But I'll just and like so that I think that's like a little true, like it's or like there's some there's something in there. But I got to tell you, when I went to Iowa, so it, I have been pronouncing his name Vivek for a long time and it is Vivek. Mm-hmm. And the people in Iowa mm-hmm. knew how to pronounce it correctly. But also there's a lot. I've had plenty of people in the focus groups who are like, you know who I like? That guy, the one with the name, Ramamama, you know, and like they can't pronounce it. That doesn't mean they don't like him. That doesn't mean they won't. That doesn't mean they won't uh, take a shot at it. And uh, so I, I think racial animus in the Republican Party comes nowhere close to rhino animus. Oh, right. And so it is much worse to be Nikki Haley. You know who you know who they like every bit as much as Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or Mike Pence? RFK Jr. Oh, yeah. Like, he has just as much support. Speaking of which, the gays against groomer, he threw that at me, actually. I got that. He's like, you know, I've been been intrigued by some of the things that RFK Jr. has been saying lately. And I was just like, oh. He's making a lot of sense. Yeah. These voters have also been intrigued by some of the things. But, like, they're they're just as pleasant about the Democrat RFK. So here is something before we get out, because it's been a hella, hella long show. I will say that, in general... The next 18 months are going to be full of misery and bad tidings. But the one thing we can look forward to is the first poll where Vivek pops above DeSantis. Because that moment <laughs> is going to be glorious. And Sebastian said oh. this was the Echelon National Poll. And it was DeSantis had 16 and Vivek had 10. I mean, he's on his heels. Oh, I am going to savor heels. that like a fine glass of port. Somebody else was asking me to assess the DeSantis thing, and the, and and the Vivek National Poll to me, or and Iowa Poll that combines with Christie, New Hampshire, Tim Scott, South Carolina. Like once, and and I really think once one of those things happen is when the wheels really come off for DeSantis, because I, I I still think he's holding holding steadier than than the pundit class wants him to wants to say. But if you get to a point where Vivek has passed him, or Christie's passed him in New Hampshire, or Scott's passed him in South Carolina, like it it starts to get really bleak down in Tallahassee. Like that, I've been in those campaign offices, and uh, you know the tidings are not good down there, uh, even if they might be might be positive on certain certain cuckish podcasts. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So the Never Back Down, the the pack came out. And one of the things I saw over the break was that they said that if Trump doesn't debate, DeSantis won't debate because he it's a two-man race as far as they're concerned. And like that is that is essential for them, this idea that it's a two-man race. And the second it becomes not a two-man race is when DeSantis And by the way, that's he he has no that is the stupidest that thing I've ever heard. Very and, bad and DeSantis decision. absolutely has to debate. And if he does not, then the first poll where Vivek passes DeSantis will be the three three yeah. first poll after that per- No, first I mean he has debate. to debate and at the debate yeah. he has to kill Trump. Right. This is he's gotta stand there and go after Trump as a groomer and blah 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 yeah. blah the whole time and ignore 
everybody else going after him. He's got to do something to change the dynamic. This is a thing that I've been kicking around in my head, which is, all right, do you know, JVL, that when I met Tim, I scooped him up super demoralized coming off John McCain's campaign because John McCain was running a mm-hmm. distant third at the time. Like his campaign was just cratering. And then I got to be with Tim while John McCain then went on an ascent and became the nominee. Uh, and Tim had left the campaign thinking he was done. So I saw two things that really interested me recently. One was I was going back and looking at like what was John McCain's polling in July of 2007. Uh, and it was bad. It was bad. Like yeah. just super bad, right? And this is like when I met Tim for the first time. The other thing was somebody posted this uh, thing about, uh, oh, look, you know, 76% of voters are unhappy with their choices between the two major nominees. And those two major nominees are John McCain and Barack Obama. Uh, So just to put the Americans' constant sense of dissatisfaction with their two nominees and like just to pour a little more cold water on some of the no-label stuff. But my question to you is this idea of like, does Ron DeSantis, can he do the McCain thing? Like, what does the dynamic shift no. that brought, obviously he has no John McCain, but like that is, they've got to be clinging to that theoretically, right? That idea that you can be running there and then come back up. For sure they're clinging to that. And I, and I remain thinking that's possible. Biden is another good parallel to that. Yep. Right? Biden's was polling is never as bad as DeSantis's, um, but McCain's was for sure. Biden ran wire to wire nationally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but I mean- Sure, but in the early in the early state polls, if you're looking at the early state polls, but right. you're you're right in the national. So it's a very different situation. Uh, the McCain situation is more is more similar, just in that McCain's numbers got to around the low tens where where DeSantis are yeah. now, right? But the there teams. was no dominant front runner. Exactly. Yeah, it was like Giuliani and Fred Thompson were the other. Yeah, it's Giuliani who has all these weaknesses. It's Mitt who'd come out of nowhere and was a Mormon and had been a moderate right. governor. Uh, and these guys were all ping ponging yeah. around. So, up so and down, you can't right? beat somebody with nobody. Type thing, and so this is the DeSantis thing. Is like, well, for DeSantis to reemerge, the alternative of Trump has to collapse, right? Like the DeSantis theory of the case is that that a vacuum happens because Trump ends up in jail or whatever, or like has a heart attack, or you know, like that. I, essentially, I think that is it because the McCain situation was was different in that case. I was much younger and 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 much less grizzled, and so um, you know, I, I really did think that was over. Um, and uh, and then they asked me to come back on the campaign. I don't know if you remember this, Sarah, and 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 leave you and abandon you at, at the job we were working at together. Um, but I just came out of the closet and I was like, eh, whatever. I was sad that it happened, but <laughs> I was sad that he made the comeback. <laughs> but I was like, I'm, I'm going to live my life in Washington. I'm not, they're like, oh, like, all right, man, it's all good. We're going to move you to Ohio now. And I was like, move back to Ohio? I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I just spent three years in Iowa. So um, I, I, the McCain thing is, it, I think it is always fair to caution that these presidential primaries are different than Senate primaries, and they have a life of their own, and th- and and dynamics can change, and and earn media things can happen that shake up the snow globe. But like that that parallel is very different than this, just because of Trump's dominant position. Um, you know, McCain wasn't running up against anybody like that. It ended up being Huckabee actually. Huckabee yeah. wins Iowa. You know, and so it's like this is not exactly a formidable force. Yeah, and didn't like Newt then the win Arkansas South Carolina? Governor. Like no, that's twenty twelve. This oh, is the next okay. time. Oh, yeah, because Santorum was like also. You guys really yeah. do want to do a two-hour show, don't you? Uh, we haven't talked to each other in a while. I have. I, <laughs> I would love to. 
We could have done student loans. You cut us off. We could have done a half hour on student loans. I got a bunch of other people I'd like to make fun of. I had a little Ben Shapiro bit I didn't get to. You know, all good, though. It's fine. Save it for the next this, time. Uh, we got to leave people wanting more. We Save leave it for the next time. More. Guys, good show, long show. Please go and leave us five stars. Hit the subscribe button. Mash the thumbs up. on All the things. Do the things. Then go to thebulwark.com and sign up to get Charlie Sykes's email every morning for free. And like we do a bunch of other free stuff too. Go give us your email and do that. Go listen to the Will Salatan Lindsey Graham oh, podcast. Oh yes, or do it on YouTube too. You do either way. Yeah, um, it's very good. And I'm in for Charlie tomorrow and Friday on the main pod. So you just are going to get so much there, Tim. Tim. They're going to get so much Tim this week. I'm in for Charlie on Thursday and Friday. I've got we got a Sunday show. See, I'm helping you save your material. All good. So lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Download them all. See you guys on Sunday. Bye. <laughs>